Chapter Thirty of the Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter Thirty. There are haughty steps that would walk the globe, or necks of humbler ones. Miss L. P. Smith. Gertrude would have declined and made her attendance upon Emily an excuse for non-compliance, but Emily herself, believing that the exercise would be beneficial to Gertrude. Interfered and begged her to agree to Kitty's apparently very cordial proposal, and on the latter's declaring that the expedition must otherwise be given up, she consented to join it. To change her slippers for thick walking boots occupied a few minutes only. A few more were spent in a vain search for her flat hat, which was missing from the closet where it usually hung. What are you looking for? said Emily. Hearing Gertrude once or twice open and shut the door of the large closet at the end of the upper entry, my hat. But I don't see it. I believe I shall have to borrow your sunbonnet again. And she took up a white sunbonnet, the same she had worn in the morning, and which now lay on the bed. Certainly, my dear," said Emily. "I shall begin to think it's mine before long," said Gertrude gaily as she ran off. "I wear it so much more than you do." She found Fanny waiting for her. The rest of the party had started, and were some distance down the road, nearly out of sight. Emily now called from the staircase, "Gertrude, my child, have you thick shoes? It is always very wet in the meadow beyond the Thornton place." Gertrude assured her that she had, but fearing that the others were less carefully equipped, inquired of Mrs. Graham whether Bell and Kitty were insured against the dampness, possibly the mud they might encounter. Mrs. Graham declared they were not, and was at a loss what to do, as they were now quite out of sight, and it would be so much trouble for them to return. I have some very light India rubbers," said Gertrude. "I will take them with me, and Fanny and I shall be in time to warn them before they come to the place." It was an easy matter to overtake Bell and the lieutenant, for they walked very slowly and seemed not unwilling to be left in the rear. The reverse, however, was the case with Mr. Bruce and Kitty, who appeared purposely to keep in advance. Kitty, hastening her steps from her reluctance to allow an agreeable tête-à-tête to be interfered with, and Ben from a desire to occupy such a position as would give Gertrude a fair opportunity to observe his devotion to Kitty, which increased the moment she came in sight, whose jealousy he was desirous to arouse. They had now passed the Thornton farm. And only one field separated them from the meadow, which, covered with grass and fair to the eye, was nevertheless in the centre of a complete quagmire, and only passable, even for the thickly shod, by keeping close to the wall and thus skirting the field. Gertrude and Fanny were some distance behind, and already nearly out of breath with the pursuit in which the others had gained so great an advantage. As they were passing the farmhouse, Mrs. Thornton appeared at the door and addressed Gertrude. Who, foreseeing that she should be detained some minutes, bade Fanny run on, acquaint her brother and Kitty with the nature of the soil in advance, and beg them to wait at the bars until the rest of the party came up. Fanny was too late, notwithstanding the haste she made, for they were half across the meadow when she reached the bars, proceeding, however, in perfect safety, for Mr. Bruce was conducting Kitty by the only practicable path, close under the wall, proving to Gertrude, who in a few moments joined Fanny. That he was no stranger to the place. When they were about halfway across, they seemed to encounter some obstacle, for Kitty stood poised on one foot and clinging to the wall, while Mr. Bruce placed a few stepping stones across the path. He then helped her over, and they went on, 
their figures soon disappearing in the grove beyond. Isabel and the lieutenant were so long making their appearance that Fanny became very impatient, and urged Gertrude to leave them to their fate. They at last turned the corner near the farmhouse and came on, Belle maintaining her leisurely pace, although it was easy to be seen that the others were waiting for her. "'Are you lame, Miss Clinton?' called out Fanny, as soon as they were within hearing. "'Lame?' said Belle. "'What do you mean?' "'Why, you walk so slow,' said Fanny. "'I thought something must be the matter with your feet.' Belle disdained any reply to this, and, tossing her head, entered the damp meadow, in close conversation with her devoted young officer, not deigning even to look at Gertrude, who, without appearing to notice her haughtiness, took Fanny's hand, and, turning away from the direct path, to make the circuit of the field, said to Belle, with an unruffled ease and courtesy of manner, "'This way, if you please, Miss Clinton. We have been waiting to guide you through this wet meadow.' "'Is it wet?' asked Belle, in alarm, glancing down at her delicate slipper. She then added, in a provoked tone, "'I should have thought you would have known better than to bring us this way. I shan't go across.' "'Then you can go back,' said the pert Fanny. "'Nobody cares.' It was not my proposition, remarked Gertrude, mildly, though with a heightened color, but I think I can help you through the difficulty. Mrs. Graham was afraid you had worn thin shoes, and I brought you a pair of India rubbers. Belle took them, and without the grace to express any thanks, said, as she unfolded the paper in which they were wrapped, Whose are they? Mine, replied Gertrude. I don't believe I can keep them on, muttered Belle. They'll be immense, I suppose. "'Allow me,' said the lieutenant, and taking one of the shoes, he stooped to place it on her foot, but found it difficult to do so, as it proved quite too small. Belle, perceiving this to be the case, bent down to perform the office for herself, and treated Gertrude's property with such angry violence that she snapped the slender strap which passed across the instep, and even then only succeeded in partially forcing her foot into the shoe. Meantime, as she bent forward, Fanny's attention was attracted by a very tasteful, broad-brimmed hat, which she wore jauntily set on one side of her head, and which Fanny at once recognized as Gertrude's. It was a somewhat fanciful article of dress, that Gertrude would hardly have thought of purchasing for herself, but which Mr. Graham had selected, and brought home to her the previous summer, to replace a common garden hat, which he had accidentally crushed and ruined. As the style of it was simple and in good taste, she had been in the habit of wearing it often in her country walks, and usually kept it hung in the entry-closet, where it had been found and appropriated by Belle. It had been seen by Fanny in Gertrude's room at Mrs. Warren's. She had also been permitted to wear it on one occasion, when she took part in a charade, and could not be mistaken as to its identity. Having heard Gertrude remark to Emily upon its being missing, she was astonished to see it adorning Belle and as she stood behind her, deliberately pointed, made signs to Gertrude, opened her eyes, distorted her countenance, and performed a series of pantomimic gestures, expressive of an intention to snatch it from Miss Clinton's head, and place it on that of its rightful owner. Gertrude's gravity nearly gave way. She shook her head at Fanny, held up her finger, made signs for her to forbear, and with a face whose laughter was only concealed by the deep white bonnet which she wore, took her hand, and hastened with her along the path, leaving Belle and Beau to follow. "'Fanny,' said she, "'you must not make me laugh so. If Miss Clinton had seen us, she would have been very much hurt.' "'She has no business to wear your hat,' said Fanny, "'and she shan't.' "'Yes, she shall,' replied Gertrude. "'She looks beautifully in it. 
I am delighted to have her wear it, and you must not intimate to her that it is mine. Fanny would not promise, and there was a sly look in her eye which prophesied mischief. The walk through the woods was delightful, and Gertrude and her young companion, in the quiet enjoyment of it, had almost forgotten that they were members of a gay party, when they suddenly came in sight of Kitty and Mr. Bruce. They were sitting at the foot of an old oak, Kitty earnestly engaged in the manufacture of an oak wreath, which she was just fitting to her attendant's hat, while he himself, when Gertrude first caught sight of him, was leaning against the tree in a careless, listless attitude. As soon, however, as he perceived their approach, he bent forward, inspected Kitty's work, and when they came within hearing, was uttering a profusion of thanks and compliments, which he took care should reach Gertrude's ears, and which the blushing, smiling Kitty received with manifest pleasure. A pleasure which was still further enhanced by her perceiving that Gertrude had apparently no power to withdraw his attention from her, but that, on the contrary, he permitted her rival to seat herself at a distance, and continued to pour into her own ear little confidential nothings. Poor, simple Kitty! She believed him honest, while he bought her heart with counterfeits. "'Miss Gertrude,' said Fanny, "'I wish we could go into some pine woods, so that I could get some cones to make baskets and frames of.' "'There are plenty of pines in that direction,' said Gertrude, pointing with her finger. "'Why can't we go and look for cones?' said Fanny. We could get back by the time Belle Clinton reaches this place. Gertrude professed her willingness to do so, and she and Fanny started off, having first tied their bonnets to the branch of a tree. They were gone some time, for Fanny found plenty of cones, and made a large collection of them, but was then at a loss how to carry them home. I have thought, said she at last, I will run back and borrow Brother Ben's handkerchief, or if he won't let me have it, I'll take my own bonnet and fill it full. Gertrude promised to await her return, and she ran off. When she came near the spot where she had left Kitty and Mr. Bruce, she heard several voices and loud laughter. Belle and the lieutenant had arrived, and they were having great sport about something. Belle was standing with the white cape bonnet in her hand. She had bent it completely out of shape, so as to give it the appearance of an old woman's cap, had adorned the front with white weed and dandelions, and finally pinned on a handkerchief to serve as a veil. It certainly looked very ridiculous. She was holding it up on the end of the lieutenant's cane, and endeavoring to obtain a bid for Miss Flint's bridal bonnet. Fanny listened a moment with an indignant countenance, then advanced with a bound, as if just running from the woods. Kitty caught her frock as she passed, and exclaimed, "'Why, Fanny, are you here? Where's Gertrude?' "'Oh, she's in the pine woods,' replied Fanny, "'and I'm going right back. She only sent me to get her hat. The sun's so warm where we are.' "'Ah, yes,' said Belle, "'her Paris hat. Please give it to her, with our compliments.' "'No, that isn't hers,' said Fanny. "'That is Miss Emily's. This is hers.' And she laid her hand upon the straw headdress, which the gentleman had but a moment before been assuring Belle was vastly becoming, and without ceremony snatched it from her head. Belle's eyes flashed angrily. "'What do you mean?' said she. "'You saucy little creature. Give me that hat.' And she stretched out her hand to take it. "'I shan't do any such thing,' said Fanny. "'It's Gertrude's hat. She looked for it this afternoon, but concluded it was either lost or stolen, and so borrowed Miss Emily's cape bonnet. But she'll be very glad to find it, and I'll carry it to her. I rather think,' said she, looking over her shoulder as she ran off, "'I rather think Miss Emily would be willing you should wear her bonnet home, if you'll be careful and not bend it.' A few moments of embarrassment and anger to Belle, laughter from Kitty and Mr. Bruce, 
and concealed amusement on Lieutenant Osborne's part, and Gertrude came hastily from the woods, with a hat in her hand, Fanny following her, and taking advantage of Belle's position, with her back towards her, to resume her pantomimic threats and insinuations. "'Miss Clinton,' said Gertrude, as she placed the hat in her lap, "'I am afraid Fanny has been very rude in my name. I did not send her for either hat or bonnet, and shall be pleased to have you wear this as often as you like.' "'I don't want it,' said Belle, scornfully. "'I'd no idea it belonged to you.' "'Certainly not. I am aware of it,' said Gertrude. "'But I trust that will not prevent your making use of it for to-day, at least.' Without urging the matter further, she proposed that they should hasten on to the top of the hill, which they could not otherwise reach before sundown, and set the example by moving forward in that direction. Fanny accompanying her, and busying herself as she went with stripping the decorations from Emily's despised bonnet, Belle tying an embroidered handkerchief under her chin, and Mr. Bruce swinging on his arm the otherwise neglected hat. Belle did not recover her temper for the evening. The rest found their excursion agreeable, and it was nearly dark when they reached the Thornton farm on their return. Here Gertrude left them, telling Fanny that she had promised to stop and see Jemmy Thornton, one of her Sunday-school class, who was sick with a fever, and refusing to let her remain, as her mother might not wish her to enter the house where several of the family were sick. About an hour after, as Gertrude was walking home in some haste, she was joined near Mr. Graham's house by Mr. Bruce, who, with her hat still hanging on his arm, seemed to have been awaiting her return. She started on his abruptly joining her, for it was so dark that she did not at once recognize him, and supposed it might be a stranger. "'Miss Gertrude,' said he, "'I hope I don't alarm you.' "'Oh, no,' said she, reassured by the sound of his voice. "'I did not know who it was.' He offered his arm, and she took it, for his recent devotion to Kitty had served in some degree to relieve her of any fear she had felt lest his attentions carried meaning with them, and concluding that he liked to play bow general, she had no objection to his escorting her home. "'We had a very pleasant walk this evening,' said he. "'At least I had. Miss Kitty is a very entertaining companion.' "'I think she is,' replied Gertrude. "'I like her frank, lively manners much.' "'I am afraid you found Fanny rather poor company. I should have joined you occasionally, but I could hardly find an opportunity to quit Miss Kitty.' We were so much interested in what we were saying. Fanny and I are accustomed to each other, and very happy together. Do you know we have planned a delightful drive for to-morrow? No, I was not aware of it. I suppose Miss Ray expects I shall ask her to go with me. But supposing, Miss Gertrude, I should give you the preference, and ask you, what should you say? That I was much obliged to you, but had an engagement to take a drive with Miss Emily, replied Gertrude, promptly. Indeed! said he, in a surprised and provoked tone. I thought you would like it. But Miss Kitty, I doubt not, will accept. I will go in and ask her, for they had now reached the house. Here is your hat. Thank you, said Gertrude, and would have taken it. But Ben still held it by one string, and said, Then you won't go, Miss Gertrude? My engagement with Miss Emily cannot be postponed on any account, answered Gertrude, thankful that she had so excellent a reason for declining. "'Nonsense,' said Mr. Bruce. "'You could go with me if you chose, and if you don't, I shall certainly invite Miss Kitty.' The weight he seemed to attach to this threat astonished Gertrude. "'Can it be possible,' thought she, "'that he expects thus to pick and annoy me?' And she replied to it by saying, "'I shall be happy if my declining prove the means of Kitty's enjoying a pleasant drive. She is fond of variety, and has few opportunities here to indulge her taste.' 
They now entered the parlor. Mr. Bruce sought Kitty in the recess of the window, and Gertrude, not finding Emily present, stayed but a short time in the room, long enough, however, to observe Mr. Bruce's exaggerated devotion to Kitty, which was marked by others beside herself. Kitty promised to accompany him the next day, and did so. Mrs. Graham, Mrs. Bruce, Belle, and the lieutenant went also in another vehicle, and Emily and Gertrude, according to their original intention, took a different direction, and driving white Charlie in the old-fashioned buggy, rejoiced in their quiet independence. End of chapter 30